1: And thank you so much for tuning in. Good morning, everyone. Happy Friday. I hope everybody's
0: having a wonderful, wonderful week so far. A shorter week for many of you. Some of you not so because I know you are self-employed and you did work on Monday. But I hope either way you've had a wonderful week wonderful week despite the wild weather that the uk is currently putting on us like seriously
1: i went out yesterday or was it the day before actually i can't remember i had a t-shirt on and then i got absolutely
0: wrenched by this downpour so i went out sunglasses on like imagine this right okay i haven't washed my hair for a few days i have washed it today so you're welcome Imagine this. Sunglasses on, t-shirt on, like, embracing spring. All of a sudden, pfft, thunderstorm. I have that.
1: Oh. Sunglasses off. Drenched. wrap? Yeah. That's what we're about, isn't it? <laughs> hey, despite the wild weather, we're here for it, right? So... Let's get
0: crack-a-lacking on the questions. Some good questions, as always, and I really appreciate, as always, the amazing questions that you do ask me, because ultimately, I've had really a lot of feedback as well, actually, other people, because of course, I put them on the podcast, other people listening, and actually, a lot of the time, people can feel quite trapped in, in these thought processes, or not quite sure that other people feel the same way, right? And actually, nine times out of ten, most people are are struggling with the same sort of thing. So the more that we're asking questions and then supporting one another in the way in which I deliver the message, it's absolutely phenomenal and could well be life-changing for so many people. So the first one, really interesting question actually. How do I know if I am
1: hungry physically or if it's my brain telling me I'm hungry? so
0: this is really interesting isn't it because a lot of people now struggle to acknowledge actual hunger and chronic dieting has the physiological changes that impacts part of our brain namely the acc and the insula these are the two um, aspects that manage our fullness and our hunger right And we have two types of hunger signals, hunger cues, should we say. Let's call them hunger cues. We have two types. We have internal cues and we have external cues. So internal cues, we would look at and call them energy levels um, like satiety, hunger, fullness, unconditional permission to eat.
1: External cues, we've got calorie targets, my fitness pal, SINs. Points, emotions, feelings, external influences. So, like peer pressure, dieting rules
0: can't eat breakfast, can't eat past 6 pm. Now, over a period of time, and of course, with a lot of dieting, many people now respond solely to external cues, now without the awareness of internal cues. So they're responding to peer pressure. They're responding to dieting rules. They're responding or seeking permission from my fitness pal as a way of validating what they're eating, and they haven't got the mind-body connection to acknowledge actual hunger. Instead, it's based on all of the external influences, which then drives you further away from that embodiment and that mind mind-body connection. No, said mind-muscle connection. Then that's not mind mind. So this is where that hunger and fullness scale is really, really powerful. And we start to build on mind-body connection. And the way in which we do this is through somatic movements. So things like meditation, things like journaling, things like yoga. They can really help strengthen that mind-body connection. And actually yoga is directly associated with um, improving the ACC and the insula within the brain. And another another um, question that we impose to ourselves So we know that we're looking at curating a pause before we're reacting to situations to help with the response, right? So simply asking yourself, am I hungry for this? And then having the hunger and fullness scale in front of you, which is all within the vault. And we know that the hunger and fullness scale goes from like number one, where you are ravenous. And then we've got number two, uncomfortably hungry, right the way up to number 10, I feel sick. So before you're eating, to start strengthening this internal recognition of the cues for yourself, we can begin following a few questions, which which brings about the mindful eating aspect. And we know mindful eating is about being present in the moment, without preoccupation, non-judgmental, with awareness and emotional understanding. So if you've got the hunger and fullness scale in front of you, you've asked yourself, am I hungry for this? And say you sat around about um, eight, very full, right? So before, ask, before eating, you ask yourself, right, where am I on this hunger scale? I'm an eight. Okay, what am I feeling in my body? Hence, stress. Okay, is this emotional or is this physical hunger? Ah, this is emotional. Where am I feeling this in my body? Uh, okay yeah I'm feeling this in my chest maybe my breathing's up feeling this I don't know in my stomach I'm feeling a bit nauseous because the stress is so high so then you can acknowledge that that's external that's an emotion and a feeling so then you've got this tool this toolbox of all other like coping strategies that can help you in that moment and the biggest one that you have got that we have all got is breathing Okay, so if I am reaching for food now and on this hunger and fauna scale, I'm saying I'm an A, I'm actually not hungry for this. Instead, my body is acknowledging this stress response and how can I soothe her or him in this situation to bring me back down to my window of tolerance, my homeostasis, where we are in that thriving window. So deep breathing, just getting outside for five minutes, go for a quick walk around the block. Cutting your dog. Something to help bring you back to that moment. But then you've got the other end of the spectrum, haven't you? So maybe you're saying to yourself, right, where am I on the hunger scale? Right, okay, I'm, I'm number three. I'm very hungry. Okay, what am I feeling in my body? Hunger. <laughs> is this emotional or is this physical hunger? This is physical hunger. Right, okay, so I'm going to do myself a meal. And then during the eating, we'll check in at some point. Before your plate is empty, so like halfway through eating. So it's a good time to check in and say, okay, right, how am I feeling now? How much more do I need to eat to feel comfortably, full and satiated, making sure that my, my pace of eating is nice and slow and that I'm eating without distraction? <clears throat> and after eating, again, then assess how you're feeling. Where are you feeling? Continue to be curious and non-judgmental. And ideally, we'd sit between like, a number five and a number seven in that like thriving window, and that's like a neutral feeling and full. There are going to be times that you do go up to very full. There are going to be times you do feel go up to very uncomfortable. to you feel sick? There will be times that that happens, but when you're looking at these cues like before eating, during eating, after eating, it removes the judgment because you're being mindful in that situation. So, as an example, <clears throat> um okay, I'm trying to think of an example. Right, okay, so on Sunday I had a pizza and then I had a cake. It was great. Loved it. Loved it all. It was fully immersed. And it was my dad's birthday. So I had the I had the pizza and I probably sat at about seven full. And then I'd made a carrot cake. Well, Chris and I had made a carrot cake and we took it over. If I was sat at number seven, then so but I was not gonna say to myself, you're not having the cake because you're full because it was situation relevant and because I was mindful that it was my dad's birthday and I wanted to celebrate it. So that did take me up to being very full, somewhat uncomfortable, but it was temporary and it was a decision made with intent. So there will be times when you go up there and it is very holistic, it is flourishing and it's allowing you to live your life whilst simultaneously um, achieving your goals. And the best aspect and the, the most powerful thing you can do in that moment is know your values know what's right for you but also take an overarching view of the week so how many times have you got to the point where you feel sick over the week probably haven't if you've been using this hunger and fullness scale asking yourself these questions using these prompts implementing mindful eating so when you're taking an overarching view of the week because unfortunately a lot of the time we can sit in this instant moment well i feel sick i'm i've messed up i feel guilty i shouldn't have had that but actually looking at the broad week, the month as a whole to help you then rationalise these unsolicited thoughts. But then if you do get to the point where you feel uncomfortable, like what can you do to support that? As an example, on Sunday, and we know that going for a walk is one of the most powerful things to support digestion. So I just went for a walk. I took the dog out for a walk in the evening. And by the time I went to bed, I felt great. So using that hunger and fullness scale and checking in with those cues is a really powerful way. Checking in with those questions, sorry, is a really powerful way in building those internal cues. And there will be times that you perhaps do fall to external
1: influences. But working on being curious, building this mind-body connection,
0: when you are exposed to external pressures, it's like, okay, am I making this decision here? and it's okay in this moment, or then do I need to work on boundaries?
1: Um, So another question, sleep. How much do we need for sleep? And I
0: dropped a message in the group this week, having done a little bit of research, and it was quite interesting, actually. So Sleep is one of the most underrated things in society, but it is one of the most important aspects to a thriving, flourishing, healthy life. If you are sleep deprived. There you will you will struggle to put put it bluntly, (laughs) as blunt as I can be, you will struggle. It has significant impacts on your hunger regulation, your um, mood, your energy levels, things like repair, recovery, hormone balances, satiety, fullness, blood glucose. It has so many aspects, impacts on the body. Now, there will be times where you are not getting enough sleep. Say if you're a new mum, it's unrealistic for me to sit here and say you should be going away and getting seven hours. That's situation relevant. And in those situations, I would recommend napping throughout the day to try and ensure that you are getting enough sleep. Your body is not thriving. It's not in its window of tolerance if you are sleep deprived. Chronic stress is directly linked to chronic
1: illness. Chronic sleep deprivation is associated with a higher BMI.
0: And a lot of the time now, I mean, I fell into this. I'll sleep when I'm dead. I'll sleep when I'm dead. I used to think that
1: four hours, five hours sleep was ample. Now, if you give me anything less than eight, struggle, massively struggle. And we struggle with our mood. We struggle with our energy levels. We're snacking all day.
0: And the one thing that we're overlooking is sleep. So the recommended baseline is seven hours. But just getting seven hours doesn't necessarily mean that that's good quality. So quantity doesn't dictate quality. To get good quality sleep, there are things we can be doing, even if that sleep is a little bit shorter than the seven hours. So they recommend getting out and getting some daylight in the morning within about 60 to 90 minutes of waking. So that helps with your circadian rhythm. Your circadian rhythm is your natural sleep and wake cycle. When you're going to bed, making sure that you are removing technology at least one hour before bed. And I know that that gives people the ick because for whatever reason now, we are so consumed by mobile, mobile phones, so consumed by it. And I think lockdown was transformative for me in that I acknowledged that I had spent way too much time on my phone. And I do spend a lot of the time on my phone now because a lot of my work is done through technology and communication. However, when I finished, my phone is downstairs and it stays down there and it has done now for three years. And actually, I was talking to my mentor yesterday when we were talking about smartwatches. I hypothesize that there will be something, like maybe in the next generation, that there will be something in place where like smartwatches and driving accidents <laughs> because they are the biggest distraction the biggest distraction now i haven't got a smartwatch and i had one for probably a year now but we're consumed by this technology aren't we and my phone stays on do not disturb all day, and if it's off do not disturb because i have a, an important phone call i'm like oh i don't like this i don't like this but getting off your phone 60 minutes before bed if you are on your phone and exposing yourself to the blue light that down regulates your melatonin And being on your phone for an hour before bed has the same effect on your sleep quality as having a coffee one hour before bed. And regularly getting less than six hours good quality sleep increases risk of heart disease by up to 300%. So making sure that you're removing technology before you go to bed. Not eating too close to bed either. Because again, that can affect your your melatonin response. But making sure you're also not going to bed too hungry. uh, Because hunger can affect your sleep. So when I'm talking about sleep quality, I'm talking about namely your REM cycle of sleep. So your REM cycle of sleep is like your, um, it's a deep sleep. It's your emotional first aid. Where the brain gets rid of like all the metabolic waste that's been built up throughout the day. And that's the bit that helps regulate your mood and your energy. And if you're not getting good quality sleep, you'll impact your REM cycle of sleep, which is then, See, so you probably wake up one morning, you're like, oh gosh, I had seven hours, eight hours sleep last night, but I've got like a, I feel like I've got a bit of a hangover. Now that's because you haven't got good quality sleep, so your energy hasn't been restored. And then that affects your mood, it affects things like snacking, it affects your satiety, it affects your fullness. Now, there's also one thing to take into consideration here as well. If you are regularly getting like five hours sleep in the week and you're like, oh, I'll well, just catch up at the weekend. You can't bank sleep. It doesn't work like that. And actually that that sleep hangover can be quite prevalent of a weekend. And what they do recommend is if you're regularly going to bed at nine, a.m., nine p.m. and waking up at six, like to do that over the weekend as well. Like that's that that's built in your circadian rhythm. So that's a really important aspect of like your your body's physiological wake and sleep to help you really thrive. And I'm a sucker for this. Like I, I do this. So I'm sat here now, like, yeah. I don't get up at five o'clock on a Sunday. Let me tell you that. Do get up at five o'clock in the week, but I don't get up at five o'clock at the weekend. But I am ready to wake up at five, but I go, I know I, I force myself back to sleep with a night mask. So but like I said it's about seven to nine hours that we should be getting. And one thing I do recommend is like, if you have got to get up at six, then count like eight hours back. When you count eight hours back, get rid of your phone. Like ideally you'd count seven hour, eight, nine hours back and then you'd start a bedtime routine where you're off your phone and um, like you're starting to wind down. So maybe reading a book, maybe doing some meditation, doing a little bit of yoga, um, I don't know, whatever you want to do, whatever tickles your fancy. And then like an hour before bed, getting rid of technology like, or getting some some glasses to help with the blue light. But, yeah, that technology aspect, I think, is one that everybody struggles with. But it's so so important for good quality sleep.
1: Um, another question that I absolutely loved. I love this question. Are we all too fixated on weight loss? What a question. In reality, yeah, I think we are, you know. And I've really been thinking about this and
0: I've really been thinking about the messaging within society, um, namely because I'm, I'm delivering a presentation today as well on, i mean i've changed the title about five times but the title is the implications dieting has on mental and physical health so i was doing a lot of deep diving this week and like diet culture and so societal norms focus heavily on nutrition and exercise as the only markers of health what about the other facets Then we've got diet culture that normalizes restriction, obsession with food and exercise. Then we've got the categorization of food into groups, avoidance of food, inability to acknowledge fullness and hunger. Again, like I just said, external cues, right? We now have assumptions that people's weight and shape and their body fat levels are directly representative of their health, engagement in dieting talk all the time. If you've changed your weight or your shape, that's the first
1: thing people talk about. You look great. You put on weight, or you've lost weight, or what did you do? Then we've got self-objectification
0: theory, right? Then we've got body image dissatisfaction, chasing this ideal, permission to engage in activities based on like pressures, perceptions. But really, what are the implications that this is having on our well-being? And really, does this support a thriving quality of life on a very subjective level? I'm going to say no, but when you look at diet culture... When you look at all the methods that are put out there, when you look at this, when you look at self-objectification and you take a real deep dive into that and you start to understand it, start to understand like the patriarchy, you can actually look back and be like, is there any wonder I, I think like this? Is there any wonder I feel like this? But it's then asking yourself, what is the cost benefit to thinking like this? What is the cost benefit to feeling like this? What is the cost benefit to to chasing this diet culture pressure, these societal norms? Is that me living a thriving, happy life of freedom, of regulation, of balance? Likely not. But then we have this perception of perfection and this desire to meticulously control everything. So then we struggle to break that down because that brings about this like barrier of fear And this fear is like, well, if I let go, then I'm going to lose control. But in essence, a lot of people lose control through this perception of perfection and this innate desire to control absolutely everything based on chasing goals pushed in society, based on chasing goals pushed from diet culture, which actually doesn't align to your values. It doesn't align to how you want to show up each and every day. So then you feel dissatisfied constantly. And we know that, Women and and girls are taught to see themselves through this third party, this third party perspective. So we are habitually body monitoring and it's linked directly to shame and anxiety. It diminishes your self-awareness. It brings about sexual dysfunction. And then we know that that feeds increased level of food preoccupation. Lower body image is associated with an increased frequency in dieting, increases in emotional eating, frequent weight loss talk is... Increases the likelihood of holding in negative attitudes towards our body and our appearance. And engagement in self-objectification acts as a risk, risk factor for the development of eating disorders among women. But then we have this dieting solves everything, right? Dieting solves everything. Dieting solves one thing. You're pulled to gravity. If you see that that is an issue. But then you have a a poor relationship with the scales based on internalized weight bias based on all this diet culture messaging. And 90%, 90% of people have engaged in
1: weight loss behaviors at some point in their life. And that like,
0: again, it's the cost benefit. So it poses the opportunity to then um, ask yourself a a few questions about it, doesn't it? Like, am i am I engaging in things that are true to me, or do I follow goals and beliefs that have been pushed on me from societal pressures, from diet culture? and i I and I now have this innate belief that, say if I'm in a larger body, I just need to lose weight. Now, I look back at twenty one year old Rebecca in a larger body and she felt exactly that there's a reason my my eating disorder was heightened and there's a reason that when I went from 22 stone to 54 kilos I felt equally as dreadful in myself because I did it chasing this ideal chasing this diet culture and these societal norms so I fell at the expense of
1: self-objectification became the people pleaser did everything saw myself through the third person's perspective linked
0: directly to the shame in my body I felt equally shameful at 54 kilos as I did at 22 stone and I look back now and think had somebody said to me about emotional regulation about understanding self-objectification understanding diet culture understanding um, stress management understanding boundaries if I'd have got that to
1: start with I wouldn't have got to that extreme because I'd have understood what was right for me in that moment, my values, and I'd have chased a life driven intrinsically or rather than externally.
0: And that's what people do. They fall into years and years and years of dieting.
1: Chasing external pressures, external influences. So yeah. We are all too fixated on weight loss. And we know now that body
0: fat levels are not directly representative of health. And actually, you can be holding it, you could be in a larger
1: phenotype and be healthier than that in a quote unquote smaller phenotype. Things like management of glucose, like people in lean phenotypes are being diagnosed with type 2 diabetes now,
0: stress response, autoimmune system diseases they may well be holding more body fat and then you're following methods because people are just fixated on weight loss they're just again then building on this external cues with hunger right i'll follow sins i'll follow points i'll track calories are you eating for health are you eating for a good quality life like are you eating to support aging to support anabolic resistance Or are you eating in the instant moment for this gratification pushed on you from society and a perception of what you believe you should be doing? So there's a big deep dive there, a massive deep dive. And thankfully there is more evidence-based practitioners coming out now in the nutrition space and that there is still a lot of work to be done because we do like people do still push fat loss as a, as a means to an end, like, well, just lose weight and you'll be fine, just lose weight. How many times have you lost weight, but then you felt dreadful and you've regained the weight? How many times have you lost weight and had to restrict your food, restrict living a life? I had a really interesting conversation yesterday with one of you awesome humans who restricted Oreos and started dieting from a very, very young age and fasted running from 11 years
1: old and would only eat Nutella after a vigorous exercise session. Like, is that healthy striving
0: in a direction that's supportive of mental health, physical health? A life of thriving, of flourishing. And if you hold the assumption that being in a larger body
1: means that you can't thrive and you can't flourish and you are putting your life on hold, that is a choice you're making. And it's breaking down your beliefs.
0: And I had to do a lot of work on this myself as well. I used to diet to go on holiday, seek permission from a smaller body to wear a bikini. I haven't done that
1: for some years now. And instead I dress to me, I dress to comfort. And it's things like this. I was questioned this week, have I dieted for America? No, shockingly. And it's not that I'm against dieting. But it's
0: having—it's making sure that your choice and your decision is that of yours. And a lot of people would benefit from dieting. They really, really would. We live in an obesogenic environment. But losing body fat is not the only marker of health. If you're engaging in healthful activities, you're building on emotional regulation, you're building on stress management, you're actively walking, you're going to the gym, you're eating more protein, you're eating more
1: veggies, like you're working on your sleep, you're healthier. So much healthier. But then you challenge your internalised weight bias and... As I say to all of you, like we take more
0: of a holistic fat loss approach where fat loss doesn't define you and it doesn't consume your whole entire life, it doesn't consume your whole entire existence. Like a holistic fat, fat loss approach is yeah, of course, energy balance matters, right? Yeah, you do reduce your calorie intake should you want to.
1: But your nutrition behaviors, your exercise becomes a byproduct of how you feel. How you feel is your emotions, your thoughts, your beliefs, your feelings. Um, Your feelings, yeah, that's it. Your environment. So if you take care and do the groundwork, fat loss becomes a byproduct
0: because you're not driven through emotional hunger. You're not driven through self-objectification or diet culture or food rules or all of these external influences. You're driven through what you want
1: and how you feel. So in essence, we are too fixated on weight loss. doesn't mean weight loss... It doesn't mean that weight loss isn't obtainable. It is. Weight loss is achievable for every
0: single person. The, the difficulty I have is seeing people lose weight and regain it, lose weight and regain it, because they're just plastering on the issue. So you can simultaneously lose weight, improve your relationship with food, improve your relationship with your body. It takes a little bit longer. It takes a little bit more hard work. It does, yeah. It takes more conscious effort. But the one thing I always say is make sure it is true to you. Make sure it is something that you want. And do you know what? It's absolutely all right if you don't want to lose weight as well. It's absolutely fine. The only judgment that you have to that is your internalised weight bias. If you are happy and thriving in your body now, irrespective
1: of your body fat levels, that's a life that you have created that makes you feel good. Who is anybody to argue that? Um, And that is it. (laughs) So I went into
0: it quite a lot there. Sorry about that. Um, But if you have any questions or you want to
1: chat about anything that I have mentioned even more, then please do message me. Thank you.